Hi. In my second interview with Richard Capriola, an addictions counsellor, we looked at how the pandemic has affected the mental health of young people and how extensive the damage has been. In the 10 years before the pandemic, there was a 40% increase in feelings of depression and hopelessness, so mental health issues amongst young people is not something new. However, during the pandemic last year, hospitals saw a 51% increase in admissions in girls with self-harm and suicide, and a 4% increase in boys. Teenagers have reported that they've suffered more with anxiety, feelings of depression, anger, boredom, sadness and loneliness. When I asked Richard what was the main difference between girls and boys, he told me that the girls tend to suffer more from depression, anxiety and PTSD and become addicted to one substance, whereas boys are more likely to binge drink than girls, become addicted to more than one substance, abuse prescription drugs, as well as being at higher risk of entering the criminal justice system. It was a fascinating discussion, and one that I think you'll enjoy and find very helpful. So, let's listen to Richard's interview now. Thank you. So hi Richard, it's lovely to have you back on my podcast, Let's Talk About Self-Harm. And today we're going to continue our conversation about teenagers, substance misuse and self-harm. However, we want to look a little bit more closely today at how the pandemic has actually affected young people. So here in the UK, teachers are seeing a rise in anxiety, depression and self-harm in teenagers since the pandemic. And those who are already struggling with their mental health are struggling even more now. So what has, in your opinion, led to the surge in mental health issues? Thank you so much for inviting me back to the program to talk about this uh, very important issue. As you uh, noted, um, classroom teachers, families uh, have noticed an increase in in, in mental health issues affecting uh, adolescents. Uh, But that's not new. Uh, For example, here in the United States for uh, about 10 years before the pandemic, from 2009 to 2019, we had been seeing about a 40% increase in high school students reporting feelings of depression and hopelessness and a 36% increase in teenagers seriously considering suicide. So those, those issues were going on before hmm. the pandemic. The pandemic came along and that sort of uh, involved teens facing unprecedented challenges. The pandemic changed their lives. It changed the lives of their families. It, uh, the children moved away from traditional classrooms. Uh, they moved away from their social activities and their friends. Many became isolated at home. Uh, they became fearful about what would happen to themselves and to their families. Um, and, and, and they turned to a lot of social uh, interactions you know, over mm-hmm. the internet. Since the pandemic began, we have seen increases in depression and anxiety. Uh, Anxiety almost doubled among Mm -hmm. teenagers. Uh, In early 21, there was a large increase uh, for uh, uh, 
uh, ER visits, children showing up at the hospital uh, for suspected suicide. It was um, uh, 51% higher for girls and 4% higher for for boys, 51% for girls, 4% for boys. Uh, and students in grades 8 and 10 and 12 all reported increases in mental health issues since the pandemic began. And these might be issues like increased anxiety, mm -hmm. increased anger, uh, feeling annoyed, uh, along with feeling bored and sad and lonely. And some were reporting uh, being feeling worried and having sleep problems. Mm -hmm. and, and these were all across pretty much all grade levels. Um, so there's been no question that this pandemic has had a negative impact on families and on, and on children's uh, mental health. And I think we're just scratching the surface to see how extensive that yeah. impact has been. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's those statistics are shocking and it just shows the the broad impact that it's made. I mean, it's it's massive, isn't it? When you're saying 50, 51 percent of of girls and, and as an increase and four percent of boys. And there's always been when I looked at the statistics, there's always been a difference between the sexes. Isn't, there, isn't there? There, 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 the research is sort of contradictory on that issue. There are some studies which uh, uh, show that there have been marked differences. Um, you know, from what from what I know about it, uh, there are differences between boys and girls when it comes to substance abuse. For example, boys tend to have higher rates of substance abuse than girls. Uh, boys are more likely to become dependent on multiple substances, mm -hmm. whereas girl, girls might might become dependent on one substance. Uh, teenage boys are more likely to binge drink than girls, and they're at a high. Boys are at a higher risk of, of abusing over-the-counter medications than girls. They're also boys are also at a higher risk of, of, of getting involved with legal issues. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Girls girls tend to especially girls with uh, substance use disorders seem to exhibit uh, depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, boys, on the other hand, with substance abuse disorders tend to have conduct disorders, behavioral disorders, and learning problems. The other big difference is that girls tend to internalize their mental health issues mm. and keep them inside themselves. Boys tend to externalize them in the form of disruptive behaviors. Yeah. So there are some differences between boys and girls. Um, and, and on the mental health issue, I would say that um, uh, there is a resource on my webpage where parents can, um, uh, there's about 10 easy questions you can ask your teenager mm -hmm. to check in on their mental health. Um, I got those from Newport Academy, which is an excellent treatment center here in the United States. And it's 10 very simple questions that you can ask your child to check in on their mental health. For example, one, one question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, going from negative to positive, what number describes your state of mind? Mm -hmm. uh, another one is, if your feelings were weather what kind of a day would it be outside? <laughs> so very simple questions that yeah. parents can use. Those are all on the book's website uh, uh, that you can use just as a quick check on, on how well your child is doing. 
that that's really good as a as a tool for parents um remind us of um what the web address is please for web address is uh, www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com you can read about the book you can read the blog articles um, and get other information and for people who want a, a copy of my book on adolescent substance abuse uh, it's a short read it's only about 100 pages there's a link there that'll take you to amazon uh, where the book's available as a kindle or as a paperback so www.helptheaddictedchild.com and look at the take a look at the blog articles mm. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, you know, it's it's natural for teenagers to experience, experiment with substances. And a recent study by UCL, UCL um, here in the UK showed that among 17-year-olds, one in 10 have used hard drugs such as ketamine and cocaine, and a third have tried cannabis. So should we find these... these um, results worrying I, I i think we we should find any adolescent substance abuse worrying uh the teenagers tend to gravitate towards alcohol <clears throat> alcohol and marijuana those are the two primary substances uh, but as you noted there is some experimentation with the more harder core drugs mm. um, which can be more damaging to to the teenage brain so uh, I, i'm concerned about any adolescent substance abuse regardless of the substance being used because of the developing brain teenage brains are in the process of developing you know our brains don't get fully developed until around we're around age 24 25 so any substance substance abuse mm. uh, use by, by teenagers uh, with their adolescent developing brain uh, can, can, can be very worrisome. Yeah. It also, um, the study also revealed that drug use rates were higher amongst white teens than black teens. Is that true for the US as well? And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's uh, it depends on the study that you're looking at, because I've seen studies that go both ways. Yeah. I've seen studies that show that um, that there is a difference in races when it comes to substance abuse. And I've seen studies that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that, that show that there is no significant difference. Um, I, I, I tend to think that um, there are some economic reasons behind mm -hmm. those studies. Um, I, I think that, you know, uh, access to good health care, access to uh, good schools, uh, economic uh, challenges that people have all contribute to making a child more vulnerable to substance use. Um, so I think you can see those differences in some communities. Uh, in other communities, I think you would find that there may be very little differences between the races. Mm hmm. And in your experience, did you note any difference, any significant differences between the races? I did not. Yeah, interesting. I mean, as as we know, you can you can use statistics, can't you, for any narrative? Yeah, pretty much you can. That's right. Yeah. So um, here's another one, then. Let's see what you make of this one. So according to the Office of National Statistics here in the UK, overall drug use amongst 16 to 24 year olds in 2020 was much lower than it was in the late 1990s. So I found that quite interesting. So do you think that that's encouraging news? Are we seeing a trend 
away from harmful drugs, perhaps? Well, the research shows, the research that just came out shows that during the pandemic uh, last year, mm. there was a, a, a significant decline in the number of teenagers who were using substances like alcohol and marijuana and other drugs. Now, I attribute that to the pandemic, where kids were isolated away from their friends. They were pretty much homebound in mm -hmm. many cases, and they did not have access to many of the social activities that they had before. So we did see a dramatic decline in teen substance abuse uh, during uh, 2021, the, the, the pandemic mm -hmm. you know, last year. Now, uh, prior to that, we had seen um, a dramatic increase in teenagers who were vaping substances like alcohol and marijuana, where they take an instrument, turn, turn nicotine or marijuana into a vapor and then inhale it. Mm -hmm. And those rates were going up at alarming rates uh, over the previous three years prior to the pandemic. During the pandemic, like all other drugs, they sort of stabilized mm -hmm. and started to decline. We won't know for another year whether or not that decline that we saw in uh, 2021 is maintained mm. uh, or if it rebounds and starts to go up. Now the kids are back into their normal, uh, so-called normal mm. school situations. Mm. So in a year from now, we'll be able to tell if the decline that we saw last year due to the pandemic is uh, being maintained or if uh, kids have uh, started to increase their use of substances now that we've moved out of the pandemic. But there's no question that uh, teenage substance abuse during the pandemic uh, declined uh, significantly. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting because we do know that there is a correlation, don't we, between the numbers of teenagers taking drugs and mental illnesses that are associated with drug taking so that's um interesting that the supposedly perhaps the reason we've seen that decline is that they just didn't have access to the drugs i, I think that, i think that's true i think that's a part of it uh, I, I think the isolating uh the, the pulling away from their peer groups uh not being able to go to school and be in the traditional classrooms and hang out with their friends I, I think that did have an impact on on their ability to obtain and use substances uh, it'll be interesting uh, i'm curious to see what happens during this year when the data comes out next mm, year yeah. as to whether you know that decline was maintained or or did it rebound and, and start to go up again well i i i, I would um be earing more on the side of it's gone up than... than... <laughs> I, I would tend to agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there... Um, you know, we touched upon the, the differences, didn't we, between the sexes yes. um, about, you know, the the prevalence of of young, sort of like, young men binge drinking and and cannabis and then girls um what do girls do well in terms of their substance use yeah um you know there are some differences as, <clears throat> as we noted earlier <clears throat> between boys and girls 
um, you know, girls um, don't typically get involved with multiple substances like boys do. Boys tend to drink much more alcohol, binge drink alcohol, than what girls do. Uh, and when we look at the, the emotional issues behind boys versus girls, uh, we, send, we, we tend to see that girls tend to internalize their feelings. They keep it inside. Uh, they internalize their mental health issues. They may be struggling with depression or anxiety. Uh, boys, on the other hand, tend to externalize them, oftentimes in disruptive behavior. So it comes out in, in, in problematic behaviors at school and at home. Whereas girls tend to not do so much of that. They can, but they tend to keep everything inside. Um, for, for, for some teenagers, not all teenagers, but for some teenagers, when we dig below the surface, uh, when, when, when we look beyond their substance use, we find that they're struggling with some type of mental health issue. Mm. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be some type of trauma. Um, many of the teenagers that I worked with, um, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer they came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. Yeah. So for a number of these teenagers, they're struggling with some type of intolerable thought or feeling or memory. Um, and, and they've stumbled upon a substance which gives them almost immediate yeah, relief. relief. And, mm -hmm. and, and when they find that relief, they tend to stay with it, just like just like adults do. Mm -hmm. um, but 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 it's very important that parents uh, who have a child that they suspect is using a substance get a comprehensive assessment to either rule in or rule out whether or not their child is struggling with any of these underlying mental health issues, because if they are, those issues need to be treated just as much as the substance mm. use issue needs to be treated. You need to treat both when yeah. they're present. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, frequent cannabis use in young people, as we know, can, has been associated with mental health um experiences such as depression anxiety and even psychosis yeah. yes. and cannabis and alcohol is um can also act as a gateway to other harder drugs and um although you know this is a bit of a controversial area but for a lot of teenagers you know that i i see they you know smoking pot is really considered like a soft drug that it's almost sort of like a rite of passage um, and no more dangerous than taking their first sip of beer or wine. So how can we make young people aware of the dangers of these drugs when they consider them harmless? Well, that's a very good point because when we survey teenagers, we find uh, two important facts that may very well be uh, related to why we're seeing the substance abuse issues that we see. The, the first issue is availability of drugs. When we ask teenagers, how easy is it for you to get a drug like marijuana or, 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 or even alcohol, the overwhelming majority of them tell us it's, it's, it's very easy for them to find. If they want to find marijuana, it's, it's, it's very easy for them to do that. If they want to find alcohol, they say it's, it's really easy for mm -hmm. them to do that. Even some other of the more uh, illicit drugs, they say, are easy for them to find. So 
the first issue is these drugs are readily available to kids and they know it. The second issue is what you are referring to, and that's the harmfulness of these drugs. These kids do not believe that these drugs are harmful. Mm -hmm. So when we ask them, how harmful do you think it is to smoke marijuana pretty much every day? The majority of them tell us that's not harmful. We don't mm -hmm. think that's a big deal. Or if we ask them, well, how harmful do you think it is to drink alcohol on a regular basis? They say, no, that's not a big deal. You know, that's not harmful. So the perception that these drugs like marijuana or drinking alcohol is not harmful is contributing to the substance abuse that we see. So now you have readily available drugs, a low perception of harmfulness, and these kids are, are turning to these substances. Um, and, 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 and these drugs are not harmless. These drugs interact with the brain. I have seen examples of children who have been smoking marijuana on a regular basis and the psychological and this neuropsychological tests come back on these kids. And these kids are very bright. They're, they're, they're intelligent young men and women, but the processing speed of their brain is below average. Their short-term memory is impaired and their motivation is, is, is reduced. Mm -hmm. So these may not be readily observable to parents and to others, but when we look at them neurologically, we can see how these drugs are having an impact on this developing adolescent brain. Um, and and it's, it's very risky in terms of what these drugs are doing to, to developing young brains. So where does that education need to start? The education needs to start in the elementary schools. And by that, I mean that in the elementary schools, we need to start to focus on helping young children understand what their brain is and what it does and how important it is. We need to teach them about the different areas of the brain in, in a very simple way. You know, we have an area of the brain that helps us talk, speech. We have an area that helps us walk. We have an area that helps us, um, you know, think about mm. things. So in elementary grades, we need to help kids get an understanding of how important their brain is, what the brain does, how it develops, and, and teach them not just what the brain does, but the fact that their brain is maturing and will continue to mature until their mid-20s, 24, mm. 25. Then as they move into middle school and high school, if they have an understanding of the brain is, because we've taught them that, mm -hmm. now in middle school and high school, we can introduce issues like how do drugs affect the brain? So first we teach them about the brain, mm -hmm. and then we teach them about how drugs interfere with the brain. And we can do that during middle school and high school, but we need to do it every single year. This is not something we do once a year. This is something that needs to be done on a regular basis throughout the school year. If we do that, starting in the elementary grades, teaching about the brain, we bring in how drugs affect the brain, we might actually make some significant changes in adolescent substance abuse, but we have to start early in mm. the years. Yeah. Have you approached schools or do you know of any schools that already have that sort of like in their curriculum? No, I do not. Uh, and, and, and sadly, I think that's contributing to the problem that we have. Yeah. So it, 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 it needs to be a priority among parents. It needs to be a priority among schools. 
to, to incorporate that within the curriculum. But sadly, uh, I don't think it's being done very much. No, maybe there needs to be more awareness because the parents need support in, um, in, in educating their children as to the dangers of drugs and alcohol and how that affects their developing brain. They do, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, was to um, help parents become more, more knowledgeable about this entire issue. Um, you know, there's a chapter in my book that talks about how drugs work within the adolescent brain. Very simple explanation for parents. Mm. Um, and, and I talk about the different drugs that are out there. You know, most parents know about alcohol and marijuana, but they may not know about some of these other street drugs that are out there. Yeah. And I talk about the assessments that need to be done if you think your child is having a problem with substances. What tests and what assessments should you get done? And, and how do you recognize good treatment programs? So I wanted parents to feel empowered. I wanted them to feel less afraid, less paranoid, and more prepared to deal with this yeah. issue if, they, if they're confronted with it. And, and that's really the motivation and the reason why I wrote the book. Absolutely. We can see how, how there is just such a, a, a vacuum of nothing there really that pre prepares the young person who finds themselves in that situation with drugs and alcohol thinking that it's harmless. The parents who probably feel overwhelmed and also don't understand the neuroscience um, with the brain and how what they're doing is, is really having a devastating effect on them. And then you've got the schools who have them in their cohort for all those times in their all those major develop, developmental stages, not really preparing them for life. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And parents are sort of on their own, so to speak. Absolutely. And then unfortunately, when they find that their child has been using a substance, they're caught off guard. Uh, and they don't know what to do, and it becomes a crisis. And that's what I'm trying to prevent. I, I'm, I'm trying to give parents the knowledge and the information to help them feel better prepared that if they come across this problem, they'll feel prepared to be able to yeah. deal with it. Yeah, very true. So, um, you, so, so we've spoken about how substance misuse affects then the brain and also how it interferes with the treatment of mental health disorders so it worsens the long-term prognosis for a teenager struggling with one so how can we help these young people to avoid the substance use trap when the deck seems so stacked up against them because we spoke about how the pandemic has affected them. We spoke about how they were struggling, a lot of them with mental health. We've seen a rise anyway, I think, in cases of OCD and ADHD and autism. So they're dealing with a lot, aren't they? And then they're going into these drugs which are considered recreational and are so easily accessible. So how do we even attempt to break that cycle I, I think of dependency? Begins, yeah, I think it begins with um, developing uh, a good, trusting relationship with these children. 
um, and, and taking the time to be able to understand where they're coming from, to be able to develop good communication skills with these young men and women. You know, we're pretty good at, at listening to each other's words when, when we talk, but we're not so good, unfortunately, many times in, in hearing the feelings that are behind the words. Yeah. And I think every parent can learn that skill. I think we can all learn and practice that skill so that when we're talking to children, we're listening not just to their words, but to their feelings. And, and that goes a long way to developing a good, trusting, solid relationship with these young men and women. The more we can do that, the more they are likely to rely on us for help and for information and to perhaps steer them away from some of these influences that lead them into using substances. So the one thing that I would encourage every parent to do is, is to learn these good communication skills take time to practice them and, uh, and build that good trusting relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that those communication tools are also in your book. Actually, they're in a, a parent workbook that goes along with the book and you can find information on that and the website too. There's a couple of practices and I talk a little bit about the communication skills mm. and, and, and uh, it's a, it's a resource for parents. The book is a resource for information, but there's a parent workbook that accompanies it as well. Very good. Very good. And I think that's really important. You know, we're, we're always told to listen and we sit down and we listen but like you said, we're just listening to the words. Yeah. The missing piece yeah. is listening to the emotions. And sometimes they're not that good, are they, at uh, actually describing their feelings and the emotions that they're feeling. So that's what we need to, I'm guess, guessing, listen out for and the clues as well in what yes. they're saying that could lead us to thinking that they're not in a good place. Yes, exactly. And, 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 and it takes practice, but it's, a, but it's a skill every parent can practice and learn mm. uh, so that uh, you're sort of tuning in, so to speak, on, on not just what your child is saying, not just their words, but their feelings and seeing if you can somehow tune into those feelings. Um, because I think if you can, it's going to be a very powerful communication with your child. Mm. Yeah. And do we need to be more careful as well with with alcohol when we think about you know how accessible alcohol for instance is and, and prescription drugs as well i mean you know who who doesn't have them lying around or easily accessible in a cupboard um and with the alcohol and you know how often don't we ourselves as adults say you know we come home from a hard day and we sit down and we treat ourselves to a glass or two of wine because we deserve it. We've worked hard. It's been a stressful day. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but my recommendation to parents, uh, if you have uh, uh, children at home, um, you need to secure the alcohol that you have in your house so it's not readily available to them. And uh, you also need to secure any... Um, uh, any medications, whether they're prescribed or over-the-counter, uh, to make sure that uh, your children don't have ready, readily access to them as well. Because uh, I've seen instances where uh, teenagers have gotten into the alcohol at home, uh, 
I've seen instances where they have gotten in and taken some of the prescription and over-the-counter medications. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think, good practice uh, to, to secure those so that your children do not have ready, you know, really easy access to them. Yeah, easily tempted, perhaps. Yes. Into experimenting. Tempted. Yes, exactly. They tend to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when we reframe it like that, I think it would be easier for parents to catch on to the fact of, oh, OK, then I don't need to wait till there is a problem to do that. I need to create an environment where it's never easily accessible from an early yes. age. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. it uh, it's less likely that they'll get involved in it because uh, you've taken action to make it more difficult. Yeah. And that's what you want it to do mm. as a parent. You want to make it more difficult for them to have access to the alcohol that you have at the house or access to the medications that you have at the house. Because the more difficult you can make it for them to have access to it, the less likely they are to get into it. Yeah, exactly. So... Um... What have you um, observed particularly in these past two, two and a half years since the pandemic and the young people that you've been dealing with? What, what, what? what stood out for you? Um, a great sense of hope um, that, um, that as a parent, if you catch this substance abuse early on, uh, or even later, uh, if you act to get the assessments and, and get your child into treatment, that there is a sense of hope that you and your family and your children and your child can get through this. Treatment does work. We know that treatment mm -hmm. works. Early intervention is, you know, obviously um, um, the best approach. Um, but uh, but I've seen some remarkable cases where parents have intervened and they have gotten treatment for their child and their child has gone through treatment and come out and done remarkably well. So uh, my message to parents is uh, there is a sense of hope. You can get through this. The other thing I would say to parents is if you have a child that's going through some type of substance abuse issues, you need to get help for yourself. Yeah. You know, we often overlook the fact that the parent is going through their own struggles. It's a very, very scary, very, very difficult time for parents. So my advice to any parent who's going through this with their child is reach out and get some support for yourself. Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's a support group. Or maybe it's your church community. But build a support system around yourself because you're going to need that too. And unfortunately, we often neglect the fact that the parent is going through their own crisis. Yeah. They need help and they need support. Too. Mm. Yeah, it's it's scary, isn't it? Yes, you know, it is very scary. It is yeah. very scary. Yeah, and it's kind of like, okay, so my, my child is now in this treatment centre, and now what do I do? Yeah, yeah, because you're going to go along on that journey with your child. Yeah. And, and this fear, 
I think also keeps parents away from getting the information that they need to be better prepared to deal with this issue, uh, you know, because they want to assume uh, that it can never happen to their child or, 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 or it's a scary topic and they just don't want to approach it. But, but that's a bad approach to take. That's, that's not a good approach. As a parent, you want to be informed. You want to know the information. You want to know what your options are. Um, and, and yes, it's a scary subject, but it's a subject that you as a parent can learn more about and as a result, feel more confident. And, and that's what I wanted parents to, to, to understand about my book. I want parents to read this book and walk away from it thinking, okay, I've got this. I understand this. I feel better prepared. I hope I don't have to deal with this, but if I do, I feel confident that I can deal with it. That's what I'm hoping parents will walk away from this book with a, with a feeling of having. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, after, after your child's been in the treatment center, they're going to need you, yeah. aren't they? And they're going to need you to, to be in a state that you can actually help and support them through that next journey. Yeah, because on recovery yeah going through treatment uh, is, is one part of the mm. journey but uh, after the uh, treatment uh, begins a new process where they're going to need you for support for encouragement to maintain their sobriety and to move on so you're going to play a critical part of, of their lives both during treatment and after treatment yeah yeah so i think that's really important that parents also know that they need to get help for themselves in order to yes. help themselves and, you know, their their teenager. Yes, yes. You know, it's not unusual for a, t a parent when they discover their child is using a substance and uh, to often question themselves, you know, what kind of a parent am I? Mm. How did I miss the warning signs? What did I do wrong? Uh, and that's just the beginning of the process because then you go through the assessments and the treatment plans and the treatment. And so absolutely, uh, you know, parents need to have a support system around themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there anything else that um, we need to know? Uh, no, I think uh, I, I think you've done a great job of, of touching on the critical issues uh, involving adolescent substance abuse and mental health issues and the pandemic. I think we've covered a lot of material that I hope uh, uh, everybody who listens will find helpful and informative. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank you for your participation and for your excellent questions and your observations. And hopefully everybody that listens to this will walk away with uh, uh, some really good information. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to go to the book's website, helptheaddictedchild.com, take a look at the book, read the blog articles, and, um, you know, if, if you want to order a copy of the book, uh, it's mm -hmm. available in Kindle and paperback. Um, and if you get the paperback, keep it on your bookshelf. Uh, you may not need it, but you may you may come across somebody, another family mm -hmm. member that uh, another family that might find it helpful and you can loan it out to them. So thank you so much for the discussion. Yeah, no, thank you, Richard. And also, if anyone wanted to um, contact you directly, how could they how could they do that? There's a link on the uh, on the website where they can uh, send me a message or ask mm. me a question or make a comment. So, um, you know, just go to that part of the website where they're able to contact me and uh, they'll be able to uh, uh, to reach out to me.
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Richard, for your time. It's been invaluable again. And I think we've gone a little bit deeper into into this subject matter and um, and really sort of like made some some good correlations between, you know, the drug use and, and substance use and the impact it makes on the brain and the long reaching um sort of like re results that, that can happen and impact that can happen then on the developing brain if we don't step in soon enough with interventions and help and support. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, no, thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate your time. Hi. In my second interview with Richard Capriola, an addictions counsellor, we looked at how the pandemic has affected the mental health of young people and how extensive the damage has been. In the 10 years before the pandemic, there was a 40% increase in feelings of depression and hopelessness, so mental health issues amongst young people is not something new. However, during the pandemic last year, hospitals saw a 51% increase in admissions in girls with self-harm and suicide and a 4% increase in boys. Teenagers have reported that they've suffered more with anxiety, feelings of depression, anger, boredom, sadness and loneliness. When I asked Richard what was the main difference between girls and boys. He told me that the girls tend to suffer more from depression, anxiety and PTSD and become addicted to one substance, whereas boys are more likely to binge drink than girls, become addicted to more than one substance, abuse prescription drugs, as well as being at higher risk of entering the criminal justice system. It was a fascinating discussion and one that I think you'll enjoy and find very helpful. So. Let's listen to Richard's interview now. Thank you.